1: the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire.
0: This week, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: Twenty twenty one, Matt Commagist turned
0: forty two. I'm forty two, and it's dark. That's weird. If anyone's on YouTube, everything went black. Okay, that's yeah. cool. I'm living in the darkness today. Forty two year old darkness, space darkness. That's like today's movie, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I just called it a movie. Is that cool?
1: Uh, we're using the movie as our way in because that's what this podcast is about. But yeah, never do that again. <laughs> anyway this is matt this is luke welcome
0: to our sci-fi sanctuary oh oh i'm back okay i'm watching my own image come in and out that's kind of exciting That's only Um, gonna
1: make sense for the four people who watch this on youtube
0: that's right so um i'm playing with my own mirror is the point but that's that's the thing to do when you're getting into the hitchhiker's guide i think
1: um so i'm kind of most interested in how this one came to you matt um, because you're an American and this is super British. But oh. uh, because it's like a staple of British sci-fi, I've brought in a guest who I've heard all around the British podcasting scene, Across Your Bitsocket, um, Two Good Boys, all that sort of thing. I watched him complete Dark Souls. Uh, we're joined today by Richie Morgan. Hello, everyone.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks for and also me. Thanks for, uh, um, it's always nice to have an opportunity to uh, talk at people about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So <laughs> so yeah, thanks for
0: having me on. Um, no, thanks field, for joining us. To field your question, I think I probably actually got into this before it was, partic- before there was, I guess before I even had a cent for anything British culture. I know I read the book. No. You asked how it came to me first. I think it was the text adventure in the late '80s, <laughs> which uh-huh. is yeah. I, I remember playing that on my Atari 800 XL. I think we I played the text adventure and then got stuck somewhere as you do in an '80s text adventure, especially when you're you know under 12 years old. Um, ended up reading the book, and, and I know I, I guess it's still in my. Parents' house, that um kind of fake leather version of like the first four books. Oh, nice. I mean they got some the upheld. one
2: that the is that the one that looks like a Bible?
0: Yes, I was about to say it has a very it's Bible. The look. sort of gold-edged pages. I yes, think yes, exactly. I only
2: just became aware of that version recently, but um fun enough, um and my girlfriend's family. I went to visit my girlfriend's family, and her brother and her dad both have that copy, but apparently a good few times, every time they were in America, if they were ever reading it in airports or whatever, they would be approached by people who thought that they were sitting reading a Bible. Like so you know, it's checkers Guide to the
0: Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much, that was my Bible growing up, right? Because <laughs> I, I did read it several times. Um, yeah, I've read the book probably six or seven times, most recently about a year and a half ago, I think. Uh, so yeah, my, my ground floor definitely is the book in this case and um i think it came to me sort of the same way again the gamer like early gamer stuff right and then um like kind of comic book culture i think i i might have actually got my my hitchhiker's bible from like a comic website or something where i'd get like you know back issues of other things because that's what you had to do in the 80s right (laughs) yeah yeah I, i got into stuff when i was like nine years old and uh i probably didn't even realize it was like british for like until like 10 years later. <laughs>
1: yeah, you gone to this before I was born, so I can't speak. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, that's, I think that's it's...
1: quite that's
2: quite funny that yeah. Um I, I I was just reading about it there and um about the film and how Douglas Adams was kind of quoted when talking about the film that um that the only character that really ever needed to be English was Arthur Dent. And that was it. And everyone else could be anyone. <laughs>
0: Yeah I remember um always having trouble kind of fic- picturing exactly uh what Ford Prefect was, right? Um of course in the mo- today's movie we got Moss stuff which is not what was in my mind but Moss stuff is pretty awesome so I'm perfectly happy for him to be here. <laughs> yeah
2: no I th- i really like the um I love the casting of the film actually and I think uh, again I mean Obviously, none of this would have been taken into consideration. Obviously, but you know, when when you spend your life loving a book that has multiple versions and you just know every line, and uh, there's a TV version, a radio version, and you've got all these sort of line deliveries, it's really nice when um, a film brings in someone maybe a bit different or a bit unexpected, and they just take the material and use it in a. In a you know, it all comes to you in a way that you never expected or you never pictured, but in a quite a positive way. And I think that's what the the film did a lot for me. I think
1: I definitely would say it did that really well with a lot of the visual design. Mm. And I did. definitely, I, it's a very visual film. I do really like Mostef's Ford. I feel like Zephod could have been. He's very similar to the TV Zephod. Mm. At least in his, yeah. his look. Sam Rockwell
2: I mean I love Sam I loved Sam Rockwell at that point as well after you know um, Galaxy Quest and uh, I think he did, maybe not long done a film it was a great film George Clooney film he did called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind as well I don't know if you saw that one. Oh yeah that was um, fantastic but he's yeah I love I mean I love Sam Rockwell and everything I watch him in, so I was really excited when he was cast as Zaphod for sure and it no, did it was perfect I think
0: when I was growing up I think I was actually trying to figure out who who is the green ball with the without eyes on the- <laughs> like I think and I think reading it originally I think I in my you know head book I actually did have that as uh, Zaphod <laughs> which doesn't make <laughs> any sense so yeah that, like with him I mean the way he's described in the book too and the way he shows mm. up in the movie is just so bizarre you know it's kind of hard to wrap that around uh, a prepubescent kid's mind you know?
2: <laughs> yeah no absolutely It's, it's, quite, it's quite difficult to um, Strangely enough it's quite difficult to imagine a character with two heads and um, <laughs> even when you have the television version <laughs> yeah yeah <like> <laughs> <alternating> <laughs> <and stuff. laughs> which was like I think that was on I think that if, if you get the blu-ray of the tv version now there, there's a clip of them showing on tomorrow's world or something like it was so futuristic this sort of vacant dead looking animatronic head <laughs> but um yeah but I mean I, I think um you know to go back to how it came into my life as well like I think it was one of those things that was like um it kind of belonged to my parents generation so I used to I used to uh, bother the the library quite a lot my local library and um if they didn't have the book I was looking for if they didn't have the thing I was looking for I'd constantly be ordering stuff in from other libraries so and um I think I got some Red Dwarf novels or something in the library. I remember the librarian going, sort of give me a wee sort of like, oh, you like that, do you? Well,
3: <laughs>
2: have a look at this. And he handed me over and it was like an, like an omnibus version of the first three, I think. And it was the one, I don't know if you know the cover, but there's one that's covered. that's like a mirror in a bathroom. I think, I'm, I'm, I might be misremembering this, but it's like a mirror in a bathroom, but inside the mirror is like a big spaceship. And... Um, uh, and I took it home and I only managed to read the first one <laughs> because I was a really slow reader and eventually the librarian was like, have you not read that book yet? Can you please give it back to me? But mm-hmm. um, when I read, I read the book and then my, I remember my mum seen me holding it and she was like, oh you need to see the, need, they've got the TV version as well. So I went out and found a VHS copy of the TV version I brought the TV version home and I sat and watched it with my mum and she, she would, she got to the end of it and went, I'm sorry, I thought it was a lot better. <laughs> but I was like, I really enjoyed that. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, um, yeah, I think it's... So, yeah, it kind of stuck with me through my teenage years as well because then I went off and bought all the other books and I did a lot of bus travel when I was a student and stuff. So we'd sit and read the books on the bus and all that. So I've read, yeah, yeah, big big ones for me as well. So when the film, yeah, when the film was announced, it was 2005 it came out, right? Yeah, that's the one. yeah, yeah. I, I think guess. when I fir- Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that, that uh, I, I will say that when the film initially came out, uh, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I do now. And I think what's happened is, is I've gotten a little bit older and I rewatched it recently and I've just managed to relax a bit about it <laughs> um, and accepted it as like a, another version. Because the wonderful thing about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is that every time. Another version of it is made it strays from the previous one and i think i think it being i think it helps that that its original incarnation is a radio show rather than a book because i think if it was a book people would be more strict whereas if it started as a radio show and and douglas adams is involved in all of it then you kind of just you, you get to a point where you accept that you know each version has its own quirks and differences and so I've come around to the film quite a lot and I know really enjoy it.
0: And this happened in a window, I believe D- Douglas Adams did have a crack at the script before uh, passing on, I believe. So uh, that sort of legitimizes it a little bit as well. So, yeah, um, this to straight out plunk on the movie. I, I guess my main critique would be it's it's pretty good. It has a bit of a flabby middle sort of thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that that the book doesn't have. The book definitely rolls a little in better. The, the
2: Humma Kavula stuff and the uh, going to save Trillian
0: right right because they just land on like the planet that didn't need to be there but then you'd have like an hour-long movie I guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah it's, it's
2: it, I, I think it's nice I kind of yeah I know exactly what you mean there's a bit of a, when you know the source material they have that moment where it's like we're going to go to Magrathea, but first <laughs> <laughs> we've got two other places to go to and even they even kind of do that in the way that the film plays it like you know even Zaphod is like I've got something I've got to do first so as an audience you're like oh I just want to see my Grathia." <laughs> yeah it's,
0: it's like you know going to the party and it goes can we drop by the 7-eleven you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I will say I, I'm about to do my plot summary and I Basically, it was just like, eh, screw it, and left out those two planets completely. But <laughs>
1: just to briefly on how I discovered this one, um, mm-hmm. yeah, my I grew up with parents who were super into sci fi. So as a kid, we had the videotapes of Red Dwarf, Hitchhikers, a little bit of Doctor Who. Um, I think we even had the audio tapes of the radio player, listened to it in the car. Oh, nice. Then I read the books, uh, I think my mum's copies, so I had the first five. Just cheapo paperback ones. Um, So I was very excited when the film came out as well. And I remember initially being very disappointed by it, but then Mm. realising that it's just because I'd already heard all the good jokes. (laughs) And then I had a friend at school who loved the film and kept Mm -hmm. quoting the film at me. And I was like, oh, right, I guess this wasn't for me. Like, (laughs) yeah. This is another version of it. I've already had like three versions at this point. So, of course, it's not going to be quite as funny for me.
0: I've got a friend who loves this movie, but he hasn't read the book, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mm. That's who this film's for, right? For the most part.
0: Yeah. But um, I guess it was the attempt to kind of bring it to, well, you're asking about the the American vibe on this. I guess that kind of was the main goal of this film, to really bump it over the ocean. Because when Mm. I was growing up, it was definitely like, oh, there's that weird thing, Matt's into it. It's not like like my parents weren't into it or anything like that, you know? <laughs>
2: right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, well, I think um, it's kind of the, the story of Douglas Adams trying to get the film made is, I mean, it's not a big story, but it seems to be quite a long story. I think he had, a. I read a quote from him once saying something along the lines of getting a film made is like trying to cook a steak by having everyone breathe on it. <laughs> um, because he was literally trying to, get the film made from practically the late 70s right up to the point that he died. Um, I, another thing that I only just learned, actually, but I was doing a lot of Googling before we came on, is that um, uh, it was, a pro, like there was an idea, American producers got their hands on it. Uh, he was in chats with an American producers and Ivan Reitman, his director, uh, and they had talked about the possibility of Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. And because Dan Aykroyd had brought Ghostbusters to Ivan Reitman, they dropped the whole thing and went with Ghostbusters. So oh. Ghostbusters existing literally stopped a, an early '80s Hitchhiker's Guide movie, which is mind-blowing stuff.
3: Yeah, but <laughs> um, I think but I would
1: forgive it for that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> then it took it into took it into sort of the late '90s, and then obviously he died in 2001, and then um, uh, yeah, it got picked up by uh, Hammer and Tongs, Girth. Who were who is, or was a uh, music video director? Um, I I I I don't know which part of the world you would have been in around this time, but do you remember the Blur video with Milk Carton, Coffee and TV?
0: Oh, you okay there? That that you know that's that song, a, the animated one, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like the little milk carton that leaves home and sort of goes into the big city, and yeah, it was on, I... it was on our MTV two all of the time but anyway i know he directed that video and he did some other ones he does sort of quite nice very visual stuff and um, which kind of translates into the, the film a wee bit as well actually because it is an incredibly visual film and it must have been difficult as well because i think when you look at the source material especially when you sort of take it right back to the radio version hitchhiker's guide is sort of very much just a series of <laughs> scenes it's almost like sketches that are kind of connected the scenes are quite you know, we spend a long time here, and then we spend a long time here, and um, yeah, it, it, I, I I I kind of appreciate that the, the bit in the middle now. Even though you're right, it does. As someone who knows it, it's it's a bit of a oh, but you know, when we have the whole thing about the gun, and then the gun leads to the resolution, and all ties together quite nicely. But I know that one of the things Douglas Adams wanted to do was he wanted to make it that nice, family friendly, kind of Americanized movie which i think if you took any other uk any other british property sci-fi or otherwise and Americanized that we bet everyone would be furious <laughs>
1: i seem to recall but, everyone was yeah <laughs> i think you're right actually i'm trying to remember the reaction myself <laughs> i definitely remember my my parents did not like this film and like my mum is definitely the reason i'm into hitchhikers well, the reason I've worn my Tottenham shirt today is because this is one for the YouTube viewers. Oh, oh, he's gone.
0: <laughs> oh, well. <it's>, I, uh, <laughs> Did the
1: video just drop?
0: Yeah, peace out, <laughs> peace out to the YouTube viewers. I, think
1: I was going to show you that the number 42 is on the back of my shirt.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Uh, okay, yeah, it that. does
1: not want me to show my back, because there you go, I'm back.
0: <laughs> okay. This day.
2: Tell people about the, the bizarre. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the, the the strangely the bizarre coincidence of today. Well, sorry, yesterday for you and today for me. About how the the first book was published today, forty two years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a repeating
1: number. Synchronicities
0: yeah. abound, right? <laughs> yeah. I hope everyone has their towel nearby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I always keep my towel next to my bed, Matt. Huh? All right.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll have our house pants. I guess it could be kind of like a towel if need be.
1: <laughs> Anything or any point in a storm.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. I'll do a quick kind of plot summary then, which shouldn't be too long because I just chopped out the middle we were talking about. But uh, off to the races. Arthur Dent is getting prepped for another Thursday, but as luck would have it, bulldozers are set to take down his house to make way for a new bypass. Author's pal, Ford Prefect, suggests that they just head to the pub for a few pints to get ready for the journey ahead. As it turns out, Prefect is a stranded alien who is aware that the entire Earth is about to be destroyed to make way for an interstellar bypass. The two hitch a ride on a Vogon construction vessel, are subjected to Vogon poetry, and are thrust out into the cold darkness of deep space, where they are improbably picked up by the Heart of Gold, a cutting-edge space vessel that has been commandeered by the president of the galaxy, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Also on board is Trillian, the manic pixie dream girl that Dent couldn't handle at a past party, and a very depressed android named Marvin. They are on the search for the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. They know the answer is 42, as laid out by millions of years of processing by a supercomputer called Deep Thought, but they don't know what the question is. The group eventually discovers that the planet building world of Magathea, Magrathea, and planet designers start a Bartflist. It seems that the recently destroyed Earth was actually a carefully planned machine meant to discover what the question was, but it was carelessly destroyed by the Vogons just before completing its goal. Fortunately, a second Earth is ready to be put into motion, and there is a place for Arthur there. Choosing adventure instead, Arthur refuses to on the new earth and instead sets course for the restaurant at the end of the universe with his heart of gold crewmates.
1: I did coach well Matt on these British pronunciations beforehand <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to give 6am a bit of that too yeah. <laughs> and reading this notepad I, I typed it in the notepad like an imbecile so <laughs> I always use note, why do Slut. I use notepad
1: I mean, that's, I usually message it to you on messenger so I've got it on my phone so that's better than mine
0: <laughs> yeah okay
2: Slarty Bart Forest is uh as I'm earthful I'm at the best of times so. <laughs> yeah
0: i mean when you say it it seems like you're drunk and slurring your words so when you say it <laughs> properly <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> oh, speaking of drunk and slurring your words i don't regularly miss the uk but just the the sight of a nice country pub and a big crisp <laughs> pint i really felt like a pint last night <laughs> and the peanuts yeah <laughs> I yeah, hear it would be something weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, America we just have the scum bars. I remember because I had the fake pub when uh, a few miles away from my parents' house, and that that was amazing. But generally, it's you know punk dives where I ended up in my in my uh, going out at night days.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, well, I used to go to the Rose and Crown or the King's Head, and it was exactly like this pub. So yeah, the the uh, the opening like
2: the opening of the film is. Pretty much bang on everything that we remember, isn't it? I, I the thing I quite like about it is um, one of the, is some of the small details, like they've given Steve Pemberton the Genghis Khan mustache because in the book they have that whole bit about how that character is a a descendant of Genghis Khan,
3: right?
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I uh, like that I also, I also really love how in the, um, in the book, in the TV version, the radio one, when he goes into the pub, he buys everyone a pint, or you know, he buys like six pints or something, and mm. he says, "Keep the, keep the change," and he's like, "What? What from a fiver?" <laughs> 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 he's obviously been upgraded to fifty quid in the yeah.
0: <laughs> inflation.
1: That's how much six pints would cost now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah
0: interesting though how we, we were talking about how each iteration is so different but the first we'll say 30 minutes of the story you know what 30 mm-hmm. pages of the book in all versions the bbc version the radio version it's it's very similar up until Vogon poetry is unleashed yeah that, that's where all yeah. the uh all the trails kind of go in different directions i guess
2: <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, that, I, I do love that, all of that stuff. I mean, even when I thought I didn't like the film, I still loved the all of that stuff at the beginning. That see that shot when um, when it pulls back to reveal all yeah, the ships yeah, yeah, surrounding the yeah. planet, but the fact that it goes on for so long is hilarious. Yeah, and that was great. I, regardless of how I felt about the film, I always always got tingles when the that um, the theme tune, the Eagles mm-hmm. song comes in and the book appears.
1: It's great. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. very glad they used the music. It's only a little, but yeah, <laughs> it meant that it felt like it fit the lineage of the radio show, the TV show, and now the movie. Yeah, what do you think a- about them bringing Earth back at the end? I think they do sort of do that, but it does takes until like book five or something, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he, he yeah.
1: talked. You're talking about Americanizing it and family friendlyizing it. If you think about it, starting the film with destroying Earth and everyone apart from two people is insanely dark and the film chooses to ignore that for the most part. <laughs> so maybe they, they did feel like, yeah, we can't have audiences looking at the cinema and Earth is destroyed. It is funny that because
2: they make it a whole thing for Trillian as well and there's this sort of an emotional, she has a sort of, an emotional moment with it it gives her a reason to get annoyed at Zephod as well and um. Mm. so yeah it's they have so sort of, yeah you're right they've it's, it's all about kind of making it a bit more of a film really isn't it and I think yeah. the the ending uh yeah I think I think they yeah that works for me as well definitely.
1: Well you talked about how the other versions sort of feel like sketches in a way.
2: Yeah they sort of ramble well they don't ramble but they they're
1: quite chaotic. Right, because it's pure comedy. Yeah. Um, which is why, and whereas for a film, you do have to have a little more of a heart than just be, I mean, otherwise you'd end up with airplane, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just every every line is just a joke and there's no nothing to latch onto, which is, mm-hmm. it's fun in its own way, but I don't think it's what this needed to be.
2: I've got, I hope, if, if you're happy for me to read it, but I've got this short, Passage from a, that I find really, really interesting from a Doctor Who and the Cricket Men. Okay, which is an adaptation of um, a lost Doctor Who movie script that was written by Douglas Adams, which then later became the Third Hitchhiker's Guidebook. He taught he right he so there's like um, and what is it? So it's a like a pitch, document, or presentation for a film, for a Doctor Who film. But he talks a lot about science fiction cinema, right? So, um, <clears throat> so one, science fiction in films it is a question of getting the angle right. It has been tried many times unsuccessfully because the concepts are usually earthbound and based on reworkings of the 1984 vision of the future. For example, Logan's run, Soylent Green, etc. This is probably because the average non-sci-fi reading member of the public probably sees sci-fi as being gloomy, extrapolations of present tendencies towards totalitarianism. Verdict, boring. Even I as a science fiction fan did not go to see them. <laughs> Two, the Apollo space program rather, than, rather took the carpet out from under the feet of the old space opera type of film which used to pay no lip service at all to what do we actually know about space and space travel. Science fiction must not ignore what we already know. It can go way beyond it on fantastic flights of fancy, but the structure of the fantastic must be logical. And this is a lot of the beauty of science fiction, the wild fantasies that can be created from imaginatively logical extrapolations of what we already know. For instance, it's completely unacceptable in modern sci-fi to talk of spaceships traveling faster than light because Einstein must be taken into account (laughs) However, (laughs) theories of hyperspace which allow instantaneous transposition are acceptable, in other words current knowledge can be argued against but not thrown out of the window Again, black holes are a marvellous area for fantasy but it must be informed fantasy. Anything a writer invents about black holes must take into account the arguments put forward by the theorists Uh, Don't worry, there's not much more (laughs) (laughs) A science fiction audience wants to make The suspension of disbelief and you must allow him to do that by not insulting his intelligence. However, this does not in any way preclude the adventure romp like Doctor Who, Harry Harrison, etc., which is one of the brightest and best areas of sci-fi because it can be so outrageous in its fantasy, but the fun and the skill of it is the maintenance of inner logic. All of the best wild ideas in surreal comedy, science fiction, spy thrillers, etc., adhere to a strict inner logic. Without logic, there is no surprise, no joy." Um, and then there's just a bit of I'll read the last bit. One is concerned a great deal with problems and their solutions. The trick is to find your solution within the framework of the logic you have constructed. In many ways, James Bond films illustrate some of the points excellently. And in any attempts to make a Doctor, Doctor Who films should be done very much in the light of what, sh- what the Bond films have achieved and they're outrageously structured. I suppose this is why I've always missed trusted the term science fantasy as opposed to science fiction because it suggests the lack of logical construction so he talks a lot about what's interesting about this as well sorry is that the the, the author of the book has pointed out that he's clearly written this before star wars came out <laughs> 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 but um yeah i mean he's clear, like he's it's it's chaotic and it's mad but it all still adheres to and into like a logic, which I think is the 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 how Hitchhiker's Guide works because it's absurdity, but it makes sense. It's absurdity that makes sense if that makes yeah,
1: sense. Yeah, that's what makes it so unique, is that it's not comedy from having no logic, it's comedy yeah. from just constantly taking logic too far.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The, the it's like the, the bureaucracy.
2: Joke- yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was gonna say the bureaucracy of the Vulgans destroying earth i loved i i love i really love the idea of earth as a computer i've always loved that as well and i love it more as it becomes more like i i always think of twitter as like a giant computer Mm. like it because it really is like you throw any problem at it and it'll throw it back at you eventually what's <laughs> <whole> common- not <laughs> yeah no, i mean it doesn't do it particularly well. it's like that ai that they had to shut down because it became racist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still it is kind of like that and i i think that's something I mean, like a lot that
1: wonderful idea of earth being a computer kind of it's you becoming i feel like it's becoming more and more you bring up tw- you bring this up now which is something i was going to mention later but I feel like one of the problems with this film version, Mm -hmm. it was was made at exactly the wrong time. If it had been made just a little bit earlier, then the whole idea of The Hitchhiker's Guide is pure science fiction. And if it had been made 10 years later, then yeah, we do all walk around with basically a Hitchhiker's Guide in our pockets now. (laughs) Whereas it was made right when we were starting to have cell phones, like Arthur Dent even has one, Mm -hmm. but they weren't quite there yet. Yeah. So what was The Hitchhiker supposed to be? And that's why it's, it's kind it, what, of it really realised in that. I like that it's a book that opens up and then it's the screen in the middle. But Yeah.
2: Well, it's funny because it's kind of... I'm trying to think when the first iPad was and all that as well. But um, it, is, it is maybe just a year or so, right? because it literally is at a tipping point before we turn into things like social media and Mm. tablets and smartphones and all that sort of stuff I mean yeah you're right they did there is a he's he's got the they would have been calling that a camera phone at that it blows (laughs) my mind that that was 16 years ago (laughs) my camera is also a
0: phone
1: I want to get this (laughs) off my chest I hate that this seems to only happen in British stuff Mm -hmm. TV shows still use the phrase camera phone now (laughs) and like no one (laughs) says that because every phone has a camera but there'll be episodes of Sherlock or something from like three or four years ago, where it's like, "Oh, she was carrying a camera phone." No oh, one says camera, camera phone. phone. <laughs> this, this
0: dovetails a little bit with another podcast I did. I I think on the kids' guide to the internet. But um, my I did hear my wife use the term "I'm surfing the net" yesterday. So that kind of <laughs> blew my mind.
1: Granted, English
0: is not her first language, but. No. <laughs>
1: I still get a kick out of if I log on to Discord with my friends being like, oh, I'm jacking into cyberspace. <laughs> but, you know, I'm doing oh. it deliberately. <laughs> no. I'm jacking in, you,
2: son. You, you still internally say, I'm in, when you log into something. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, she hates it.
0: You just have to pretend you're, you're the, the hacker. You just did a password, but it's like, I'm a hacker. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. 90s style hacker. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I made my password 90 characters long, so I just sit there typing like I think I'm
0: a hacker. Um, let's have a quick run through the actors here. I, this is, yeah. I guess, before um, Martin Freeman was really a thing. I, I, I can yeah, remember, post, like, so who it's is this guy? Just shortly
2: post office. Post office, sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> post the office. Post
0: the office. Yeah, yeah. He, he was not working in an actual office at the time, I think. But uh, yeah, I, I, I would... I guess one of the things that I don't think I saw this in the theater, probably partly because at the time I was like, who's that, you know? And uh, again, this, uh, we talked about in the final cut, this would have been my first year in Japan where I was uh, not completely keyed into pop culture that year. So.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Martin Freeman, he seems like a perfect Arthur Dan. But I I I don't know. Something's just a bit off with him in this film. He seems either he's a little too young to be playing the role yet, or it's just the fact he's, that he has zero chemistry with Trillian. But the, one of the problems
2: is is that like Arthur, I feel like Arthur Dent. This, I mean this this brings it again into what you were saying about like the timing of when it was made. But like, what makes Simon Jones? I almost get Simon Peters. The book Simon's Arthur, right? Mm. Si, yeah, Simon Jones. So Simon Jones who plays Arthur Dent in the radio and the TV version is just so like just that really kind of squeaky posh sounding English middle class Mm. just to be like really far too out of his depth. And like him being who he is makes it more comical whereas Martin Freeman is a bit more everyman even though he still plays it up to be the sort of the awkward Englishman. But he, he's not as out there as, uh, as, as, as what you remember Arthur Dent being, which again is just, I think it's just one of those things is like making it a bit more. I don't know if that makes it better for an American audience or an American audience would have enjoyed it being a little bit too, incredibly English. I don't know. But then maybe for an character. American audience,
1: there wouldn't have been a single point of view character at that point. Yeah. You've got like two, way, I guess, yeah. Would have been Trillian at that point because you've got two aliens and a weird Brit.
0: They do play her up more, though. I mean, this is pretty much, uh, you know, I I mentioned the manic pixie dream girl in the the summary because this seems to be pretty much the uh, the core of that vibe, at least on the movies.
2: Yeah, she's um, well. The thing is, it's like the film as well. I was thinking, watching the film, like they've given Trillian something to do. (laughs) <laughs> Which, again, makes it a bit different from the, uh, the previous versions. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, they, they, yeah, she is, she is I, d- I don't know if that was a trend. I can't remember if that was just a trend at the time, but there was, like, a period
1: where she was everywhere, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I like Louis Deschanel. I just didn't necessarily mm. like her in this. But I think part of it is just, like, obviously they have, they only have a, Brief encounter, I think, before the start of the film. Yeah. So Arthur's sort of jealousy towards her just comes across as kind of creepy and lame. Yes, he's a bit unlikable in places, with it, isn't he? It's yeah, like, and I, um, I don't feel like previous versions were in the same like way. His, his his arc of being
2: sort of cowardly to a hero doesn't quite it doesn't quite play off as well as it as it should. He just seems like a bit. <laughs> he <laughs> seems a bit unlikable
1: yeah so they I didn't really feel like they had chemistry I just felt he, like you often get in with this kind of character where he's like he's a bit of a geek and he's in love with someone out of his depth he hmm. kind of comes across as a creep in this. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end when she like realises she likes him I was like really? do you? yeah okay <laughs> Well there are there aren't
0: any there aren't many other OG humans out there, so yeah, true. Last <laughs> man on the- earth syndrome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was another that was another interesting thing we watched the film is seeing the the party, the fabled party, because that's not in the the old versions either, but like when you watch it in a film, you'd swear that you've seen it. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, well I mean because, I guess
2: because the line about I, I I oh I love Sam Rockwell's delivery of like you know, is this guy boring you? Why don't you come with me? I'm from a different planet. It's... <laughs> I've heard that line so many times, and his delivery of it was just is bang on. I really love. I, I, I this will probably come across quite a lot, but I really love Sam in a yeah, lot. As a, yeah. <laughs> <as> about to <laughs>
0: say let's talk about where the casting really did like hit the mark. Uh, with mm. with him, I, I know one of my friends. You know, um when, we, when the, the four years of Trump started he just keep referring to Zaphod Beeblebrox specifically this film <laughs> version all the time as a, uh, we got Zaphod now so <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah no I, I thought Sam Rockwell was was good sort of because he had to be a kind of like charismatic kind of rock star type almost and then um, yeah but also a complete idiot and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know there's really too much more to say about him because he's just, he just great. I think he, he, yeah, I think he plays it really, really, well. And also like that slightly threatening way <laughs> where he's a bit of a dick as well. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, he's
1: definitely, again, I be- at the moment, this is the freshest version of Hitchhikers in my head because mm. I basically haven't read or seen any of it since I left home. So I don't, again, I don't remember Zephord being quite as antagonistic. <laughs> <In> the other <laughs> versions. <laughs> I think he. I think he didn't get. He didn't really get on with Arthur. Right. I mean Arthur didn't
2: like each other just because he always referred to him as an ape and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the, I mean, the cast. one thing I noticed as well is the cast. Going back, there's so many people that I didn't notice, like uh, Jason Schwartzman's weird. A uncredited cameo as Gag Halfront, the psychiatrist, mm. in the news report, and the news reporter is Kelly McDonald. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah,
1: it's uh, yeah.
2: I think there was a lot of people before they did much bigger things, maybe as well.
1: I think actually the entire cast is great. It's just mm. just that chemistry between Arthur and Julian is what mm. that um for me. Because again, like I said, I think. If you take um, Hobbit era Martin Freeman
3: mm-hmm.
1: and put him in this film, he'd be perfect as Arthur Dan. Okay. He just, he just hadn't quite mastered that awkward Britishness yet in this. Because they're the scenes where he's like dealing with the dwarves and stuff in those movies. He's mm. basically doing the middle-class awkward Brit thing. Of course, he's, cause since then he's had, he's had a, such a massive career, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Like what with Fargo and, like you said, The Hobbit and, yeah,
0: all sorts. And yeah, we just left out five things there. So this, yeah. the st- <laughs> I, this, I guess, the star power of this film is, you know, burning a little brighter than it did when it came out. um mm. Not that it had up-and-comers. I guess uh, again, we mentioned. um Well, hell, we didn't even mention Alec Rickman, who's voicing Marvin, right? So <laughs> right. yeah, he's so, great as well.
1: I, yeah. I also really like that Marvin design. I guess we'll get into design mm-hmm. a little more later, but. That's just a fun robot. It doesn't look any other robot I've seen.
0: Yeah, yeah. This movie is definitely like I can't think of anything in it that looks bad. So that's <laughs> a, certainly a big plus. Maybe it looks different than my head cannon, but that that's fine because how could anything match that, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be surprising if it did. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Uh,
2: Alan Rickman's. Yeah. He was that. That was again. That was another piece of casting that um, I I I love. I mean, I love uh, when a piece of casting, especially when it's something that you know really well, comes from like completely left field, and 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 it's someone that surprises you. But also at the same time, when someone says Alan Rickman is the voice of Marvin, you're just like, yes. Yeah, of it's <laughs> like, it's like when Robert. Sense. It's like when Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Tony Stark. You're
0: like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And then. Um- Moss stuff is definitely not what you would expect for the casting there, but he he's pretty so, good. I I remember him basically. Um, I know he's been a more stuff, but for me, it's so oh, what be kind, rewind, and and this mm-hmm, <laughs> are mm-hmm. the ones I think of with him. Yeah, um, no, he's 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 he comes across as just really lovely
2: and great. Um, and it, like him having the American accent, um, does sort of make the joke. Uh, I did suspect, you know, suspecting you weren't from
1: Guildford after all.
2: <laughs>
1: it hits a little <laughs> harder that time. Yeah. Yeah, He, um, he's great in this, but the same as you, Matt, I can't think of anything other than those two films that I've seen him in. And looking at his um, well, IMDb, a- it's all pretty indie, the other stuff he's done. Mm. He's primarily a rapper, I think. Yeah. Like oh, Deadpool yeah. That's artist.
0: definitely Sorry. his bread and butter, and he was yeah. kind of dabbling mm-hmm. with the acting.
1: Apparently, he's in quite a few of the Fast and Furious films. So I don't remember who he was in those. What?
0: <laughs> like, like which, like the early ones, the later ones. He's or in all like of them?
1: the first one and the seventh one, apparently. Oh. oh. Okay. That's <laughs> weird. <laughs> and I've watched those films back to back many times. So. <laughs> Completely failed to men- to
0: to notice that. <laughs> yep there are lots of people in those movies to be fair
1: yeah (laughs) and the film expects you to remember all of them
0: (laughs) it's like forgetting who your family is man
1: (laughs) yeah the ninth fast and furious film the whole film is just oh i know a guy and then the camera cuts to a guy and that's every scene <laughs> of the film.
2: <laughs> it cuts a guy, and then you the audience go, cool.
1: oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's like the oh, begat part of the Bible.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so and so begat so and so begat so and so. Um- <laughs> Yeah, we'll shift gears to the design. Uh, Luke, you were about to burst forth with a design point, I think.
1: I just love all the spheres in this film. I like, You don't see enough orbs in films, I think. But... <laughs> yeah,
0: it's better in the movie Sphere, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's funny that the,
2: the, the Heart of Gold has a sort of almost like a tea plate Looking yeah, yeah, yeah. A tea, China tea design. It's kind of odd. Because in the book, it's meant to be shaped like I could never, again, this is something I'm writing that I could never ever picture, but it's meant to look like a tennis shoe.
1: Okay, yeah. I, I don't know how Hold you on. would do Hold that on.
2: for real. Hold on. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to grab something. Hold on.
0: <laughs> Will you just, you get I'm a gonna, green screen and put a. going to grab a, shoe a tennis shoe? <laughs> A heart of gold or a tennis shoe. That's going to be my guess. Or well, the book. Or it I guess could we could be, be getting another s- reading. Could be the same thing.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what editions of the did, uh, of the
1: book that you have. But was it these ones? No, I think mine was a little more a little more recent than those. So they all like they all have four different pictures on on them okay. if you stick them all
2: together I'm not going to be able to do this on camera if you stick them all together then this oh, okay. one is meant to be I feel like a child that's showing off the
1: shoe in the middle is meant to be the heart of gold you see
0: ah okay so it is a shoe well
1: they, okay. they do when it uses the drive they have it transform into a bunch of stuff so yeah yeah i can't remember now but i bet one of them was a shoe like that
0: yeah you're just catching a moment of uh the, the book cover is just a moment in the heart of gold right so
2: yeah
0: every moment the, improb- counts out.
2: the improbability drive stuff gave a uh, good opportunity for all that uh, music video visuals that the director was used to mm. Uh, definitely because obviously the improbability drive again in the book was this really weird sequence that again was just really difficult to try and picture but it was the whole thing about his legs flowing away from him and the, looking like a penguin and all that sort of stuff but instead in the film it's just like I, th- I've, I think I've turned into a sofa
3: <laughs>
2: and then they have the sequence with where they're all made of wool and Arthur throws up all the, the colored wool and all that sort of
0: stuff that just proves I've heard that Something like 80% of people get sick within their first 12 hours in space. So it makes sense.
2: <laughs> Imagine what zero G vomit looks like.
1: It's not great <laughs> <laughs> I hope Jeff Bezos got sick. <laughs> Into his I own could... helmet. Yep.
0: What else <laughs> do we got? We got we got Arthur's right, dent house looks pretty plain okay we got the uh, the, the
1: Vogon ships Um, I remember when we were talking about High Life how you don't see spaceships that are just big cuboids or you do here.
0: yeah well yeah. The, the Vogons don't have enough um, creativity to go past cube <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All,
2: the, all, of, all of the Vogon stuff was lovely and grimy and um, sort of grim it was that nice sort of it's grim but it looks great Yep. Yeah, Well, we I love the, the I love the mic dropping from the the ceiling and all that sort of stuff as well.
0: We just did twelve monkeys and it's like, yeah, this is very Gilliam on this <laughs> ship <spaceship> here. <laughs> like it just turns into a Terry Gilliam film for five minutes. <laughs>
1: I, I was surprised that like the gold the um the Vogon soldiers was gimp outfits.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, It was bizarre, but it kind of worked. That- that no, very I... much
2: feels like we've run out of money to do fully skinned Vogons. <laughs> so, <laughs> just do, do these Gimp outfit ones. I did like them using the resistance as useless as the catchphrase for all the
0: all the drone ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're just kind of like a smellier Borg with worse poetry. I guess, so.
1: <laughs> Flying about in big cubes. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and then Everything in the final act looked absolutely incredible hmm. when they're on, uh, like, the planet building facility. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Was cool. that was just amazing, even watching it again in 2021.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. well used digital, you know, because uh, I do talk smack about digital here and there. And, and that, that that's how we use CGI correctly, I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, And also by constantly keeping the characters in shot, it sells it. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're, like, you're seeing everything massive. from Martha's point of view.
2: It does. It, it it sells the scale really well. Yeah. Like I feel. Um, yeah, that's no, great because it's <laughs> like I love the line. It's like, you know, it scares the willies out of me. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it really does. Like you sort of, there's a slight feeling of vertigo in your legs and everything as you're watching it. So it's, yeah, it's great. Definitely love that. Uh, I love the bit as well. I love the bit when they get in the cart and it does the ghost train thing of one cart coming out. Mm. You know how it looks like um a ride at the fairground? Yeah (laughs) plays the sound. Yeah, that's good. There's lots of just little so so many just there's so many little touches and yeah, the, the attention to detail is incredible. It's almost like the attention to detail is probably they lost something else somewhere along the way because they were so busy looking at how great the film looked.
0: Well, it's like how Nolan, Christopher Nolan, ended up with his own corn farm after making a Interstellar. You know, the makers <laughs> of pitchhikers ended up with their own Earth
1: at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, if, if they did, I want to go live on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, the poetry is worse. So they
2: had uh, the the I like the, the the little shuttle, the heart of gold shuttle. It was like a small red, yep, yep, yep. mini one. I enjoyed the chaos of them trying to drive it. It's they, there was a, it felt like it might have been improvised. All that, um, you well, know, that, trying to find a little steering wheel and
1: that shuttle and its controls was pure Starbuck.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. They painted painted Starbug red and chopped the back part off, and there you go. It did. It yeah. It did feel like you know that um,
2: uh, you know when they're trying to fly Blue Midget and they're all pissed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or um, when Crichton was taking driving lessons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, These are red dwarf references for the listeners who didn't pick up on that. (laughs)
0: but yeah i mean it's red dwarf is a very close cousin i was gonna say i'd
1: imagine the listeners who are listening to the hitchhikers episode probably know red dwarf
0: yeah i mean you know they'd be neighbors in the uh in the neighborhood of science fiction where every house is a different franchise
2: it is funny that they are so close like you said but the style of humor is completely completely different yeah different it's yeah it's wild
1: well, that the, like say. Red Dwarf's humor, it could it doesn't have to be sci-fi; it could be set anywhere.
2: That's true, yeah.
1: Whereas Hitchhiker's humor all comes from, like we said, taking the sci-fi ideas to mm-hmm. the crazy logical mm-hmm. conclusion.
0: Although I would I would argue the first two series of Red Dwarf is a little more in line with Hitchhiker's sort of humor. <laughs> it's got that kind of darker vibe, I guess. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. The the, the pre crichton stuff it gets very existentially, you know, like yeah. dread-like. So yeah, and <laughs> so, you've got yeah, a
1: lot, of yeah. the, the sort of atheist stuff, which is a big thing I'm in Hitchhikers just, as well.
0: I mean, I, I just the, the whole gazpacho soup thing seems very <laughs> Douglas mm. Adams. <laughs> like you've ruined your entire career because you sold gazpacho, uh, served gazpacho soup hot. You know. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah i can
0: see that yeah no definitely it's it's those sorts of ideas
2: of like especially um especially i mean for something like the early days where a dwarf was just throwing a spaceship and it's like all you've got and you've got no budget (laughs) you've got is these sort of relatable ideas but yeah like
3: yeah that's the bbc
0: version of this as well which i haven't seen for 30 years but i do remember the uh, double vhs case for it for some reason so (laughs)
2: What's amazing is it's it is it is very dated, it's very of its time. But um, when you all you have to do is watch uh, any Doctor Who from 1980, when and you realize how impressive <laughs> a Jiker's guide is, because it's visually it's it's amazing. Like I think once you get past the style of a being of its time, it is mm. incredible and all the computer graphics stuff is great and the soundtracks lovely and yeah
0: I do think maybe that BBC thing is one of the first things one of the first movies I really went seeking out on my own because it did especially in the states it required a bit of a uh, search at the time so (laughs) well I love the thing I really love about the tv version and
2: I guess the the radio version before they uh did the, the the later ones is is the ending I think it's a great ending. I love how it goes in a big circle, and Arthur and Ford end up back on prehistoric Earth. Um, but then also turns out that humans have evolved from these like telephone cleaners and and all that sort of stuff. All these sort of idiots from another planet. Basically, they've they there's this crashed arc. But I I love that as an ending. I love it as a circle because the because. Um, it does go with the whole Hitchhiker's Guide idea. It's that, like you said, it was like about it being kind of atheist and all that sort of stuff as well. It's like nothing really has any meaning. Mm. <laughs> it just toddles along and it's chaotic. And it, you know, but also,
1: it, but also it's a great, I just feel it's a great place to end it. I felt back in 2005, I really mm. loved the, the atheist part of it. Mm. Um, looking back on it now, it's all a little bit embarrassing and Richard Dawkinsy. But...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, thankfully, it doesn't play it up too hard. No, I think I
1: think it doesn't do it as smugly as it, it feels. A is bit like not it does. great. <laughs> it feels like it does a little bit just because it, it is Stephen Fry. So I associate a lot of other oh, Stephen Fry stuff course. with it. <laughs> Well, you know the, actually, you know what the, is there in the film isn't too you know the, preachy, for the of the, a word.
2: Because they just couldn't have it in the film, the scene about the the Babelfish proving the non-existence of God is it's on the DVD but it was in the film up until a late stage, so the version you see mm. on the, the DVD is fully animated and ready to go. Bob's are like, we can't we cannot put this in a film that we're going to send to America, don't we? Right.
0: That don't play down south.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things because I went through that teenage phase of like, "No, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, and that makes me so smart." And then I just I've, now I'm just like, "Yeah, I don't really care." <laughs> well,
0: you don't I believe you- in anything. <laughs>
2: Um, you know, Douglas Adams and Richard Dawkins were like good pals. Yeah, I think I did know that. Because he introduced, because Richard Dawkins is married to Lala Ward, mm. um, who was on Doctor Who when he was working on it. Um, and he introduced her to Richard Dawkins. And then that's how they, so yeah, so they became good pals after that, apparently. So I, but I, so I think the book at the party that he's reading is by Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Huh. There's, very, there's lots of weird little references <laughs> like that. Apparently, I've just been sitting reading on Google. The great thing about Google is, like, you read it all and then you come on a podcast and say them all, and everyone's like, this guy knows a lot about Hitchhiker's Guide to
1: the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, when you asked for Hitchhikers, I was, and knowing you from, as much as I do from other podcasts, I assumed you were going to know a lot about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So.
2: <laughs> Did you think when you asked me, I was going to be, it was going to be Dr. No, it's I, I did work. it
1: because what are we going to do? The 96 movie or Dalek's Invasion Earth? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We Although already I tried that do, I do really like Dalek Invasion Earth, but Matt insisted that we do um, Doctor Who and the Daleks first, even though that one's crap. <laughs> <laughs> that one's pretty rough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, um, it's interesting. You you mentioned that quote of Douglas Adams talking about what a Doctor Who film has to be. Mm-hmm. When they did finally make a Doctor Who movie, it had terrible internal consistency because oh. at the end of the film he goes back in time and to brings everyone back to life. I know. <laughs> it was like it was it was the one bit of Doctor Who that doesn't do that.
0: <laughs> That's a yeah. I like, did
1: the uh Paul um, McGann one.
0: Oh, oh right, okay. I don't think I've actually watched that, so <laughs>
1: I don't think I have oh,
0: really? since to add. Okay, I, you it's
1: it. worth
2: it's worth a revisit now that the new version exists.
1: Yeah, no, I'm sure it was more painful when it felt like that was all we were getting. Well, that was the thing when it came out at the time. It was just
2: like, "Oh, this is it," and it's uh, now it's failed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not coming back. Um, <laughs> but now you can go back and watch it as a sort of strange little Saturday afternoon oddity.
0: Meanwhile, mm. the Roger Corman. Fantastic Four just keeps getting more and more depressing because they just keep screwing <laughs> that up over and over again. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh. uh, so, yeah. Uh, so anyway, sorry, head checkers, get- Alexane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have been interested to see what they would have done with a sequel, but I, I can't imagine, because it's like you know, that verge, that script that they used for that film, they went on Douglas Adams' last draft mm. and then gave it some adjustments with, I can't remember the name of the writer, but all I can remember is that he wrote Chicken Run. Um, <laughs> but I read a big interview with him at the time and he was saying that like, we just had to make some adjustments and changes and just, you know, uh, somebody has to do that. Um, but all of the the new stuff that was in it, was from Douglas Adams' previous draft, so he wasn't even inventing new stuff. It was just...
3: Yeah.
2: I, I'm just here to so, like smooth it out a bit. Um, so I if we if... read another one, it would have to have gone...
1: Yeah, it would have had to have been written by someone else. That, did you ever read the um, the sixth book, the Owen Culfill one? I tried. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't even think funny. I made it to the fifth. <laughs> well,
1: I, I, I do remember even the, the real books were a bit diminishing returns. I well, do after, remember
0: the I, second and third being definitely I remember the original top, trilogy like,
1: being fantastic. Yeah. And I don't remember liking the fourth and fifth very much. I don't think I, I think I read them, but hmm. I didn't like them as much.
0: Yeah,
2: I yeah. I mean I, I feel like I just love them all, but I know what you mean. I've
1: got fewer fond memories of as it gets as it moves on. <laughs> but it might it might also just be that you know it is the same kind of humor and it only it can only be fresh for so long, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the thing about the um, anyone trying to follow up as well, and I had the same thing with this Cricket Men book. It took me a wee while to get settled into it, but I actually ended up really enjoying it. But um, it's when someone tries to write a- as Douglas Adams. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they tried to write in his style and it, it, it falls flat for me, basically. <laughs> but, I think, um, but I think it's like got a block in my head because I know that it's not him.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the reason for me the book is... For, for me, the book is the ultimate version of Hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. And it's because Douglas Adams' writing is so good and so funny. Yeah. So in a film, you know, Arthur Dent just walks down a corridor. But in the book, mm-hmm. even a line about him walking down the corridor is some play on words or some joke or something. Yeah, or, I, yeah, I've, you can't do that in any other medium.
2: Yeah, I, I find this a lot with, uh, like, I think about it with Discworld as well. But it's it's um, a lot of what you love about it. Like you said, it's the wordplay, and and the thing about that kind of wordplay as well is that it work it works best on a page like see the line about how the Vogon ships floating in the sky exactly the way that bricks don't is always going to be the most hilarious when you read it off a printed page to me right. I think anyway this is getting into me sounding really pretentious but what I'm trying to say is is that sometimes when, when, a, when a source material is treated with such incredible reverence and they try and translate it directly it never because they're just they usually end up like I was saying with the Discworld stuff. It's like we always end up with a narrator because they try and get in all those jokes in as well. Mm-hmm. So they just have to have someone reading them while the action's happening.
1: Well, the good thing about Hitchhiker is it's got a built-in way you can do that and get away with it. Yes, because yes. you've got the book. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean because I, I had the same thought as well. It's uh, and I think I, again, like looking back at the film, uh, going back to it and. Like really enjoying it. Um, I think it does a really, really good job of something that's I an mean, must be an incredibly challenging source material.
1: I wonder if the reason the middle section drags a bit is because it was like Douglas Adams' last addition to the film. They felt like they couldn't touch it, and maybe it did need shortening or reducing or tightening up.
0: They're like, hey, we got this original sequence from the from the man himself and uh, yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> if, if he'd been alive or if they treated it with slightly less reverence they would have been like oh this is a bit long let's change this a little bit and whereas yeah, maybe because like we have to keep it as he's written it
2: it does feel i mean i guess again they probably they were probably thinking of sequels when they were doing mm. this sort of stuff but like the fact that the humakavilla stuff doesn't really go anywhere mm. um he just sort of appears in the middle of the film and then we bugger off and um, I yeah I feel like he probably would have been back yeah in a sequel or whatever uh, but because he isn't and there isn't a sequel uh, it, we just have this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this yes. uh, Bit in the middle of the game's journey. That gets us the gun that solves the problem at the end of the film. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I think is, I, I love that as a solution as well. I love the the gun. I love Marvin. It's just one of those perfect, uh, when, when the plot points come together. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. Slow motion reveal and Marvin's got the gun and it's, when it all clicks in your head right before it happens, you're like, Marvin's going to shoot the gun, right?
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff's all great. Right?
0: So I guess we already somewhat said we're coming down on the this one is aged reasonably well like it's probably better watching it now than in
1: 2005 I think it's if, if the listener exists who's got this far and doesn't already know Hitchhikers I think the film is great as a way in mm-hmm. but I think it's just if you're already immersed and you love the radio show and the books and the movies Then the it's great to see all these visuals and it's great to see it brought to life, but you already know all the good jokes, so you've got to go into it accepting that and knowing that that's coming.
0: Something you're right.
2: Go ahead. No, you're right. I mean, I think if you're, um, but in another sense, if you do love it, if you love it the way that 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 we've loved it, um, it is great to see just the design like like it's such a visual film and um, from a really visual director um it's just such a great thing to see those takes on those that desi- those ships and those characters and those aliens and all that mm. sort of stuff so there's that bonus as well I think but yeah I know what you mean it's like I wouldn't it is um when you've got a television version that's quite dated you've got a radio version Selling radio plays to
1: well, it's, it's more of a thing now, actually. actually I, I was wondering if anyone stuff. had put it up as like a podcast or anything because, yeah, I'd probably it, give it another listen.
2: It must, I bet, it, I bet it's an Audible or something like that. Yeah, and um, I, I actually just got I've I managed to pick up a vinyl copy a few months ago. I've yet to sit and listen to
1: it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> see, I, want, that. I want to listen to it while I'm out hiking, so I don't think. Uh, final <laughs> <to the> track. <laughs>
0: no. I feel like uh, this movie though which is weird because it is you know based on that those older source materials but it feels like a very 2005 time capsule somehow looking back on it like it's just like like we said it's made exactly when it was made and it looks like it and it feels like it the only thing that I think would push that button harder is something I have not watched for quite a while, but I feel like if I watched the pilot for Lost again, it would hit that button a little harder. But. <laughs> you want to hit that button harder? Go and look, at, go and look up the trailer.
2: <laughs>
3: oh, oh, my
2: God. <laughs> it's the most 2005 thing. It's incredible.
0: <laughs> I guess it ekes into the movie, and, and it's not a criticism. Sometimes it's perfectly fine to be a... You know of your time so again we mm. met, well you were reading it but Logan's run is the most you know 1975 thing ever right so <laughs> yeah yeah
2: well that, I think that's I, I mean this is what I always say about science fiction and and this is not a, a, an original take or anything but like I love the, the thing that I love about science fiction is that it's um, a representation of the time it was made And the idea, like, I think it, I think it shows a more, sometimes it shows a more honest picture of uh, the time that it was from than say like a daily, a standard drama, you know? Right. And just in terms of its design ideas, its ideas of what the future is or it's, you know, all that sort of stuff um, or what the, you know, people's, what people think are going to happen, what people's hopes are and, so yeah, I I I I don't want sci-fi to be timeless. I want it to be absolutely all of its time.
1: <laughs> well, I remember, and this is it was just like um, the BBC Three after documentary of an episode of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and one of the designers saying, "If you try and make your sci-fi look timeless, it's going to look shit. Yeah. <laughs> just make sci-fi that you that you would make today, and it's yeah. going to look real." Yeah, yeah.
0: Which goes back to that quote, I suppose so. Yeah. (laughs) Tying a nice bow on all of that. Um, Any other big thoughts you want to throw out on uh, the, I mean, well, the Hitchhikers in general, but I guess specifically the the movie.
1: Um, I don't necessarily have any more on the movie. Um, I will say there's been, I keep seeing recently this thing about like, oh, the reason it's 42 is because Douglas Adams was into computers and in binary or whatever, when you write 42, no, it's not. It's just a joke because it's a number that means nothing. <laughs> no, I did, I... Read
2: that, I did read that you spent ages thinking of different numbers. You tried to come up with the funniest number, and I think forty-two was the forty-two has the best. I mean, in the accent and everything, you think forty-two is like yep. the best. <laughs>
0: I hope he road tested that in some clubs, you know, show for, on the stage. It's like 69. That didn't get the laugh I expected. Okay. 42, and the crowd goes wild. And I, I have a uh, my knee jerk reaction for, you know, we're teachers. So when a kid asks, What's your favorite number? I'm always like, My favorite number is 268. <laughs> you know the, the less pause the better right
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i always say 42 if a kid asks me that question so
0: <laughs> no that's so, just a-
1: I, no i was just gonna, the, a
2: question that i have is that so apparently hulu are making a series like a television version a series that Triggers Guide to the galaxy whether or not that's still happening i don't know um but uh, how do you think, you know, if or even if they, that wasn't happening and a film was happening now, how do you how do you think they would approach it? Because it's funny that's like you were saying earlier about how all of the th- some of the things that are really unusual about it are now no longer unusual.
1: Mm. Um. I hope that the one thing I hope they can do is that they feel they can make changes and make adaptations. Mm -hmm. I think anything, if you're moving it to another medium, you have to make it work for that medium. Yeah. And like, even though it's been a TV series before, TV is a very different beast now. Mm -hmm. So I hope that we're far enough removed from Douglas Adams that they feel like, okay, let's write a version that works for today. And maybe Mm -hmm. they do lean into the fact that the Hitchhiker's Guide itself does kind of reflect social media. Obviously, I don't want it to be full of jokes about like, oh, it's space Twitter or whatever. <laughs> but like, I'm sure there's something interesting that could be said there, and I hope they make an effort to say that.
2: Do you know what I always thought was um, was my sort of kind of uh, alternate universe headcanon version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, just purely based on this the Ford and Arthur relationship right. was uh, pe- was peep show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that works.
2: (laughs) I always think of those two characters; they're almost like a sort of Arthur and
1: Ford. Just actually, already, like that—that middle-class energy. David Mitchell has that much stronger than Martin Freeman. Yeah, I I don't think.
0: (laughs) Maybe they need a sitcom. That's how you can go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also, I think, um, they could be a lot more cynical in their comedy today. Like mm. that need to family friendlyize it and Americanize it is a bit less strong. Like even out of America, you get things like BoJack Horseman these days. So they could make a film mm. that just is like, yeah, the world ends at the start, and not have to bring it back at the end. Or well, that is the thing, isn't it? It's it's a Hulu series,
2: so it's not even, you know. <laughs> If it's, if it's Hulu, that's primarily for an American audience. So mm. I wonder how on earth that's going to... I'd be interested to hear that turns out. Yeah. I mean, did, you, did you see the
1: the Watch, the Discworld series? No, I haven't. I mean, any of that kind of thing is very difficult to get hold of here in Japan. Even when I watched this film, I went on Amazon Prime last night, and for whatever reason, they only had the dubbed. So I had to borrow Matt's Blu-ray instead. Oh my god. <laughs> I was
0: gonna say that it's a little surprising how hard this one was to come by because we usually don't have that problem unless it's a real obscuro one. So.
1: so maybe this is a bit more
0: obscure than we it is. realize. But
2: it has become a bit obscure. That's the thing. I
1: think it's a, a, a it's it's sort of fallen into a little bit of a cult hole, I think. Well which I is mean, nice. for a long time, like Douglas Adams was constantly working on something new. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we base apart from that Owen Colfer novel, we haven't had any Hitchhikers for sixteen years, mm. so it makes sense that it's yeah it's not as fresh and readily available, and it is just for tedious old nerds like us. <laughs> well, what's um,
2: I I contributed to a Kickstarter early in the, earlier in the year uh, for a book called Forty Two, and that was so you know when he died he donated all of his notes notebooks. To his uh, to Cambridge, and um, again, this is this a lot of my information comes from this Dr. Who book. But there's a bit at the back where the author talks about getting to look at the note because he would get access to the notes in the university to look at the script and all that. But he says in there there was things like there was a script for uh, episode one of series two, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, on telly. Which obviously just never happened. And there's lots of just notes and bits and bobs. So, this book that uh, hopefully will come out at some point, but there was a Kickstarter earlier in the year that that compiles all of his sort of weird little notes and ideas. But it would not surprise me if someone tried to uh, also create more Hitchhiker's content with his bullet points and ideas or treatments or whatever.
1: Um, I think. Since this film came out, there's been two different adaptations of Dirk Gently, I think. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) I think there is some appetite for this stuff. So hopefully we will see more. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't really need a new TV series because I'm now remembering that I haven't read or listened to the old stuff in ages. (laughs) I, I could just go back and read that or listen to that and get the experience I want.
0: Yeah, what you need yeah. really is there for this in pretty pristine form. Uh, again, <laughs> the, the book or the radio drama—I mean, that that really is the thing for this, you know.
1: So yeah, maybe it it the question isn't what do I want to see because I've got what I need. It's what can they do for like get a new generation into it?
0: Mm. Like we're saying, even this film is more of like a gateway. Like if you're already into it, you didn't particularly need this film. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get us, us Yankees uh, watching it, I guess. <laughs> it's also nice that it got made. I just,
2: I, I feel i feel a wee bit of sadness when I watch it because there's always a feeling of like, he spent so much of his life trying to get that film made. And then it happened four years after he died.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a shame.
2: Um, but yeah.
1: Ha, um, do you know off the top of your head how much money was thrown at this film? Because it looks great.
2: Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. I'm
1: going to to guess. I'm going to say
2: 35 million. I'm going to say it's a 35 million job, but um, I'm
0: going to Google it now.
1: 50 million, so a little more. Oh, okay. (laughs) Shows you how much I know about budgets.
0: (laughs) Well, now budgets are what? It's like, uh, you know...
1: Oh, yeah, the 50 million film doesn't exist anymore.
0: Yeah, it's 10 bucks or...
1: 100 the
2: or plus. 150. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Stress me out. I get stressed out because I, I do video work and I get stressed out when I work with a budget of a few grand. <laughs> 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 Can you imagine that pressure? S- Jesus.
0: Anyway, <laughs> we have armies of caterers when you have that kind of budget too. So.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, here's hoping for the, the new one anyway. Um, I, I to be honest, I don't care if they change loads, as long as it's good.
1: I almost would prefer if they did because then at least I'm getting new content.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the sort of thing I was going to say about the Discworld thing is that um, so the Discworld series that came out earlier in the year was quite, it was really, it took a lot of creative license. Like it was really different, very very different. Um. Uh, and. And in the end, I didn't really, I didn't enjoy it as much as I hoped. But that wasn't anything to do with the design choices. Because in the first few episodes, I was so on board. And the thing I really enjoyed about it is that, because Discworld itself was such a massively rich uh, and huge universe of stories, um, what it could then do is it told a slightly kind of different story. And then, but what would happen is all these peripheral characters would pop up. Almost, you would see characters from different books popping up and it was a mostly original story kind of taken, made from bits of different stories. Um, and as a as a fan of the books, it was great because what you could do is you could watch it, enjoy a new story, but also at the same time go, oh yeah, that's that, I know him, oh, it's him. And, you know, instead mm. of waiting for lines to come, because that's what the thing I always find watching adaptations is like, I know the line that's coming up, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There it is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like
1: so, the first time you're watching it is like watching a film for the tenth time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm kind of wondering if the uh, hitchhiker, you know, setup story, because you, you have to start with this thing with the Earth getting destroyed hanging up on the Vogon ship. It's it's mm-hmm. might it might make you know, maybe there's some like telling Spider-Man's origin story again sort of problem right. here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for us, well, at least there is. The problem is that they do have to do that for any new adaptation because it's not as big as Spider-Man.
0: Exactly, <laughs> even more so right? But it's like <laughs> like with Hitchhikers you have to get through this opening.
1: And it's a right, great that's, setup. That's but... what I mean. We're now at the point where with Spider-Man, everyone on Earth knows Spider-Man's origin. <laughs> they never have to show us that again. Whereas mm. Hitchhikers is not in that place. So unfortunately they are going to have to keep showing us that until one clicks. <laughs> so... I
2: do. I do look forward to the trailer for the next one coming out and it's been he wakes up in his apartment in New York. <laughs> it's being demolished, um, and Twitter just goes absolutely mental.
0: I so I did that already. But he, but he gets that, okay. onto
1: the heart of gold and says, "Oh man, I need a coffee." <laughs> <laughs> well, that just happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's what. Well, there's some recent movie where it's like. Like, every line was that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's his thing. Some, some, well, that yeah. just happened. Yeah, I think it was some other... <laughs> Even in this,
1: that drop dropper, that was awkward.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it was 2005, though. You get away with yeah. a little more. <laughs> I Maybe mean, hey, that could be the start of it all. We don't know.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: um, I guess we'll, we'll wind up our... our riffraff today riffraff chit chat i don't even know yeah we've lots
1: of tensions it's been great <laughs>
0: right uh richie what are you up to on the the interwebs you got a link or two for us or our listeners
2: oh my god uh what am i doing oh well actually it will be good to talk about a uh, because you guys are sci-fi podcast uh, i'm currently trying to find people to speak to about a project that i'm putting together a uh, about doctor who fandom during the wilderness years so that's the 90s so i'm looking for people who perhaps uh went to events or held their own events or exhibitions um or any people that went to pub groups did loads of tape trading all that sort of stuff that happened in that weird wonderful period when the show was off the telly um yeah i'm i, I yeah basically tried to make a documentary about fandom and the mental things that they got up to during that period um so if you want to go to Doctor Who fan doc, doc um, there's a wee video about what we're doing and a uh, contact form. So go and go. Yeah, if if that sounds like you, then please get in touch. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on in my inbox.
1: Okay, yeah, I'll make sure to include that link.
0: Thank you. Radio. Uh,
1: <laughs> right, I guess I'm doing my bit.
0: You're doing your bit.
1: If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find the podcast on Twitter at MLSFS we or also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you give us a five-star rating review. Tell all your friends. If you like the music you've heard in this podcast, you can find more of Matt's music by going to rovingstagemedia.bandcamp.com. And if you want to help us keep these podcasts online and maybe listen to other podcasts, me and Matt create, go to patreon.com slash podcastio Wow,
0: you're so much more lucid than I am at This early time of the morning,
1: I I could do that spiel in my sleep at this point, and I hate myself for it. At (laughs) this this point, this this point in my life, time uh, differences
2: shouldn't be surprising, but it is blowing my mind that you're getting up and I'm going to bed. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, we were crawling out, bleary eyed. We always do six am and I'm like, man, what did I just do when we finish? And then (laughs) I listen, I'm like, oh, okay, this is listenable. That's good. It's just I was not functioning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Richie actually mentioned Peep Show just now, so he's finally a guest who will understand. The reason I called our Patreon Podcastio Podcastius, it's named after Consultio Consultius. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but everyone thinks it's a Harry Potter thing. <laughs> oh, no.
0: <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, if you shout that at someone loudly, they're going to think that you're, you know, cursing them to some kind of podcast hell. Yeah. <laughs> podcast your podcast yes and then your head explodes in a twitter burst i, I mean it, burst i know fire.
2: that i know that pain having why well, i'm not living there now but most of my life spending years of my life living in what is now apparently the harry potter city edinburgh uh. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely dominated by harry potter tourism now it's so mental but anyway
0: <laughs> no we just have all the the samurai stuff around here
1: so, luckily I'm super into all that so it doesn't bother me <laughs> oh yeah
0: honestly it bothers me and then I think I've gone on about the train geeks before which is really bizarre hey, does,
1: love, the train geeks are adorable
0: does, does the UK geeks? have a train geek thing going on well I mean
2: you don't see them very often but I mean I don't, I don't even know if it's still a thing but they certainly were I mean we had train spotters and all that sort of stuff
1: that's a thing Anytime you ride a train here, you'll see some dude who's just come down to the platform to take photos of the trains. I see no that is I think that definitely is a thing my my
0: top moment was uh waiting for a train at a station there's there's one guy that doesn't seem quite right on one platform another guy that doesn't seem quite right on my platform and they're both making competing train announcements <laughs> 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 like they're rivals or something and neither of them are the you know they're not employees of the train company or anything they're just there because they <laughs> like to do that <laughs> that's great
2: um, I, funnily, a, a friend of mine told me a story once. He was at the train museum in York, um, which had loads of just sort of old steam engines on display, mm. and there was a man sincerely, angrily ranting that all of these trains should be these beautiful machines should be out on the
1: rails and not stuck in some museum. like <laughs> well, well, yeah,
0: being th- a Thomas.
1: Th- <laughs> I think the big difference in the uk you definitely get people who are into like classic steam trains and stuff mm. whereas in japan there's people are into those but they're also really interested in just like boring modern local trains oh, okay <laughs> and then of course they've got the bullet train so they're into those but they are actually pretty cool
0: yeah. okay <laughs> well, that's. Tangent i think we've gone tea. on
1: one tangent too far <laughs> at this point so let's wrap <laughs> <Okay>. this up <laughs>
2: It's just dangerously close to becoming a train podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think Richie thanks for joining us but you and the listeners at home all just need to remember don't panic
0: What dreams may come? Spider-Man, the Dragon's Challenge. Twilight Zone, the movie.